0: <clears throat> Today is the 21st of February, 2023, and I'm going to be talking a little bit about um, working with change and loss, and this subject was, was um, prompted by the, the, the storms and their aftermath, the, the three big storms we've had in the North Island. And um, I was searching around for teaching on on floods in within the the Dharma, the Zen Dharma, and I remembered that there was something in this autobiographical account of in that life of Master Sheng Yin called Footprints in the Snow. So we're just going to start with reading the little sections of his book where he talks about. this comes from the beginning of the first chapter he says I was born near Xiaonyang harbour just west of where the Yangtze River empties into the East China Sea I have no memory of the place because a few minutes after I came into the world a few months after I came into the world a flood washed everything away. Not just our home, but our fields too. Everything we owned ended up in the middle of the river. After the flood, we went to stay with relatives near Nantong. Then we moved farther upriver, about 150 kilometers from the sea, to a district called Ying Sha, directly across from Nantong's harbour. We lived in a three-room three thatched hut my father put up on the acre on an acre of rented farmland. Now he goes on after this to describe their um, family, the family's hard life you know, doing subsistence about farming. Hard, but mostly, he says, happy. But then um, about seven years after they had moved to this new location um, he recounts how he saw for himself what a flood can do. He says although it didn't affect his family directly because they were now further away from the river, they travelled to the area where, where which was affected and he was, he was deeply marked by what he saw. He says, I remember that it rained for over a month. The typhoons came and came and came. The wind rose and rose and kept blowing. The rain was dense and lashing. It would storm for days. The sky would lighten briefly and then the rains would begin again. Waves of rain soaking Everything. After the first week or so, the Yangtze started to rise. It started pulling in the land on its banks, sucking the land into itself, getting fatter and fatter, faster and faster, gobbling up soil and trees. It swelled so much that it broke through the dikes into the fields. He had talked earlier about needing a, a, a man to bicycle the, the pumps that drew the water into the farmland but he says that now they needed no no bicycle man to irrigate. The fields were, he says, our fields were full of fish. When the typhoons finally stopped and the wind died down, wind died down, my father took me to see how my second sister's family had fared. Although the flood had spared their house, their land was outside the dike, and had disappeared. It, in places that where the water had begun to recede, all that was left of the other houses were thatched roofs, debris floated in the water, half-starved dogs and cats clung to flotsam, and human corpses bobbed in the waves, their clothes had been ripped off and they be- had begun to bloat and rot. <clears throat> We think, we think of land, of the soil, as being something solid. And yet here we have cases mentioned by him of the land being swallowed up by the river. And we have many, many examples in our floods of people who have not just lost their homes, but whose land has, has slipped away. Or is it threat of slipping away. So his, his experience, I think he's experienced this, and is roughly about a seven-year-old. The male corpses floated face down, their bodies arched like bows, with only their backs visible above the water. I thought this was because their stomachs had less fat, but I never found out why. Most of the female corpses floated face up. Their, hands, their heads were belt- bent back, their hair was fanned, and their feet hung down, below the surface. They also formed bows, but in the opposite direction. The children's corpses were like bloated blowfish, swollen and puffed up with sickly white bellies and leprous grey backs. Gucks scavenged their eyeballs. The rain had stopped, the sun beat down, and waves of stench drifted off the river. It was such an awful experience. Over the next few weeks, I kept waking up in the middle of the night in terror. The fragility of life is frightening, not only to adults, but to children too. The destruction I witnessed was like what Shakyamuni Buddha realized upon enlightenment, that this world is fragile and constantly in danger. The cycle of birth and death is like an ocean of suffering. At that time, I had absolutely no religious beliefs. But standing over the fetid river, watching the corpses drift by, I had a sudden realisation that any of us can die at any time. I knew that if I had lived in that area, we would have died too. Seeing so many corpses, the impermanence of life was driven home to me. Yet I felt that it was a very good thing to be alive. In the midst of all that terror, it was not fear that I felt, but that life is good and that we should cherish it. In the weeks to come, the horror of the corpses faded and was replaced by a kind of acceptance. At a young age, I knew that when death comes, there's nothing we can do. We have to accept it. I have seen much death in my lifetime, war, famine, disease. I am at the end of my life now. One day soon I will die. The lesson of the flood is still with me, and I know there is no use worrying about death. The important thing is to fully live until the moment when it comes. What struck me in particular um, in... This book were the two quotations that Master Shen Yin chose to put as a as a kind of preface to the text, and they're one's a verse, one's a just a line. Um, They appear to be um, at odds with each other, and in some sense they reflect what. Master Sheng Yin realized when he he uh, saw the death and destruction after after this flood, this terrible flood. He realized, he says that he that it was no use worrying about death and that the important thing was to live fully until the moment when it comes. And here's his here's his first quotation as prefacing the whole book. What is there to worry about in life? Just follow the causes and conditions. Days and months go by like waves. Time passes like fire in the stone. What is there to worry about life? Perhaps we could could restate it and say, um, in what way is it helpful to worry? To be to be truly at peace, to be truly free of worry, um, probably takes a fairly good deep insight into emptiness, the emptiness of of everything, including ourselves. That we all are processes in flux, insubstantial. Um, there's a famous verse from a master and scholar around, it was around the 400 AD. Was he when he lived? He was he was about to be executed, and he's and this is what he said, reportedly at his at his the moment before he died. The four elements essentially have no master. The five shadows are fundamentally empty. The naked sword will sever my head as though cutting the spring breeze. The naked sword will sever my head as though cutting the spring breeze. What is there to worry about in life? If we, to some degree, how much we worry is is to do with our temperament. Um, faith in the teachings, faith in the Dharma, can also be another, another cause of of less worry if we really. Really, even if we haven't had strong insight, we can still have faith in the teaching of emptiness and of impermanence. If faith comes from, from experience, what is there to worry about in life? Just follow the causes and conditions. This could be um, an invitation to just die when death comes, as he was talking about earlier. We can also understand it in other ways. And it can be understood in a straightforward manner. Just respond as needed, whatever the conditions are. And there's a whole range of, of, of different kinds of, of loss and change that people have experienced in the floods from minor damage to losing one's whole home and everything in it, losing one's livelihood, land, the land on which I, we built has, um, to have gone we see that the land is much less solid than we thought. And the, and the ultimate to lose someone we love or to die ourselves. All of these um, have happened over these last weeks. I was speaking to um, a member who lives in, in Napier and he was saying that um, it's really been quite wonderful since the disaster because of the way in which neighbours are helping each other, checking up on each other. He gave an example of builders coming in to help with get the repairs started, ripping out damaged jib, just, just working to help People driving down the, down to Napier bringing f- food and other necessities. This yes, is all responding to, to causes and conditions. And it's, it's, it's more eloquent than any words that be, could be said to the people who are suffering. It's just very straightforward but vital. just follow the causes and conditions. Just follow the causes and conditions, not just what is happening, but looking into why something might have happened, what might have caused it. And this takes some some fearlessness and honesty at times. Master Dogen said, Those who practice Buddhism must deeply, deeply feel the passing nature of things and have faith in karma. Everything has a cause, and karma, this word karma, means cause. The teaching is more fully expressed by the terms karma vipaka, which is cause and effect. Years ago, it must be maybe 10 years ago, I read an article by Bill McKibben, the founder of 350.org, and he was talking about a flood that had happened in his area in Vermont, which had destroyed a bridge or a culvert near his home. And he, was, he talked about the disruption... That this caused the cost of this, and also the the cost of the repair. Um, and he he predicted that such destruction would become more frequent as global temperatures rose, and that over time it was likely that our ability to um, fix things to to do the work to um, replace the bridges and, and the roads and so forth would become more more difficult because we would have fewer resources as time went on and we're seeing this happen now with, with um, the present disasters that budgets are going to have to be rewritten um, and funds that were would have been going to other things will have to go to the repairs. James Shaw gave a, an impassioned speech, in, uh, I think, in Parliament, where he talked about uh, our coming to what he called a period of consequences. This, this. Um, is actually a quote from um, Winston Churchill. And there's a little article in the newsroom about, about this, this period of consequences. And this is by a commentator called Mark Dolder. And it appeared about a week ago. So he gives a little bit of background and, and takes, the, takes the, the image a little further. He says, in 1936, as Hitler's Germany geared up for war, Winston Churchill railed against the comparatively poor state of the British military. He said, the era of procrastination, of half measures, of soothing and baffling expedients, of delays, is coming to a close. In its place, we are entering a period of consequences. And James Shaw used to use the same phrase in Parliament on Tuesday, pointing to the the, the enormous challenge that these the series of storms have created in terms of um, uh, returning things to how they were before. the the floods in Auckland were being called the worst climate related disaster in the country until they were superseded by the the damage done further down the island in the east coast. Dolder points out that the same um, quote had been used by Al Gore um, back in 2006 when in his book, An Inconvenient Truth. And then he asks the question, how are we still reaching for the same metaphors to describe the same problem? Why does it feel like so little has changed? In the documentary, Gore turns to Churchill after describing the ways in which climate change will make hurricanes, the Atlantic version of cyclones, more intense. He points to Hurricane Katrina, which killed more than a 1,000 people and turned into the costliest ever tropical storm. There had been warnings that hurricanes would get stronger. There were warnings that this hurricane, days before it hit, would breach the levees and cause the kind of damage that it ultimately did cause. And one question that we, as a people, need to decide is how do we react when we hear warnings from the leading leading scientists in the world, Gore said. Gabrielle was not a surprise either. And while we were as prepared as we could be for its landfall, we were not prepared. We are not prepared for the progression of ever more intense and ever more frequent tropical storms which will come in its wake over the coming years and decades. that we can be honest without, about this and and examine ourselves in terms of what we might do as we move forward, how we might respond. Why and ask we can also ask ourselves why is it such a difficult thing to change? Dolder suggests that it's it's to do with the fact that um, global overheating, which is causing these storms to become more frequent and more violent, is a systemic problem, not an individual one. The quote, procrastination, the half measures, the soothing and baffling expedients, the delays, that's quoting Mr. Churchill, are the fault of those with the power to stop the pollution. Fossil fuel companies, their corporate clients and the Politicians who have failed to rein them in, and we could add in here the um, the forestry companies. People who are old enough will remember Cyclone Bola, and this problem with the with the um, slash was was obvious and and plain back then, whenever it was. 19- 88, I think, somewhere around there. These companies are continuing to make record profits while by knowingly selling us the very thing that makes events like Gabrielle so much more likely and so much more extreme. They knew their products were poisoning the atmosphere as early as 1959, and they lied about it. Now they pretend to support green solutions that leave it the chance to increase production of fossil fuels. When the opportunity arises, and actually, emissions have gone up in, in recent years rather than gone down. So this is this is uh, we're in a situation now where we're we're already experiencing the, the more violent weather because of the. The one point, whatever degrees of, of temperature rise. But in order to in order to um, proceed, we also need the light touch that that um, Yin offers when he says, "What is there to worry about in life?" Well, we might say there's there's plenty to worry about, but um, it's likely that the w- worry could make us um, immobile, unable to act and we need to be able to act wisely even if we are in greater trouble now than we were a few years ago. Not just create things in the same but to to find a way of moving forward without panicking and to speak out without blaming while at the same time holding um, their feet to the fire of these, these institutional bodies which um, are how the system plays out when our society. The last two lines of, of um, this first two the two quotes by in Master Cheng Yen's book. He says, days and months go by like waves. Time passes like fire in the stone. He's talking here about impermanence, impermanence, impermanence. Dogen says the same. He says, deeply feel the passing nature of things. To feel this in our bones, that we are Change. That we can, if there's one thing we can rely on, it's change. Shakyamuni Buddha put it all things composed of parts must fall apart. But this includes, includes painful things. They too must pass. They, they come, they have a certain life, and then they go. This is some we. we we learn again and again and again through our sitting practice. If it comes, it will also go, or at least it will change. It's not solid and set. And this really can be um, the bedrock of our, our faith, that, that we can, something that we can absolutely rely on. Now we come to the second quote that Master Sheng Yin has here, living in this world is like living in a house on fire living in this world is like living in a house on fire this is from the lotus sutra and the parable of the burning house we don't need to go into into the details of this uh, but we can appreciate this as a symbol of an image of samsaric existence. In, in the, the passage in the Lotus Sutra, the, the Buddha is, is depicted as a father of many who, children who are unheedful of the danger of living in this burning house and just continue to play with their toys while they're in, in, in danger and of being consumed by the, the searing flames and this is this is also true of us of samsaric existence it is it is searing it is can be hellish even this this burning house is so associated especially with the passions greed hatred ignorance these things which which are the cause of our, our deepest suffering. So in, in, at odds with the first quote we might see, we could say that escape is urgent from this place, this place of deep suffering. And yet we tend to just continue playing with our t- toys. And this is certainly the case in the, in, um, with the way that we uh, respond to the climate crisis, most of us. And this is this you could say is is the danger that we we just fall into um, acting out of those three poisons. There was one um, writer rephrased them: we demand, we defend, and we distract. We demand things to be our way. We defend our our patch of what we own, and we distract ourselves. So these things are so much they're embedded in the system in which that we are ourselves embedded in. I think I used this quote in a, you um, know, Zendo talk recently, but it is is applies here Um, he says this is Chekhov Anton Chekhov behind the door of every contented happy man there ought to be someone standing with a little hammer and continually reminding him with a knock that there are unhappy people that however happy he may be life will sooner or later show him its claws and trouble will come to him We can we can feel like we've we've been let off lightly, uh, but as long as as um, we are in this world, we are subject to its claws. That's the nature of the, this existence with, that we we live in this burning house. And though the the the, the storms are particularly powerful because they are happening right here, or it did happen right here among us. Everybody knows somebody who's gone through something in these in these three storms. It's not just here. We have climate changes happening all over the world. Uh, probably the most severe are the, the, the um, long years-long droughts in Africa, which are creating uh, hunger for millions of people. Not just human beings being affected either. One of the, the um, things that happened right at the centre when we were pumping out the um, lake that had formed in the driveway alongside the Zendo, um, at one point, an eel came up and was was came up through the sewers, we, we guess, and um, was sucked into one of the pumps and stopped it working, killed the eel, and it just it just struck me as is so poignant that that this living being should be should. Be killed by this, this. our efforts to, to get the water out of the zendo, and I've heard other stories of of um, animals in these storms, rats having to swim away on on floodwaters, um, penguins being washed out of their of their burrows where they would were going through the molting process. His changes are, are um, having profound effects on so many beings of different species. So you look at these two quotes by the, in in, in Xing Yen's introduction and preface. What is there to worry about life? Just follow the causes and conditions. Days and months go by like waves. Time pa- passes like fire in the stone. This image of fire and the stone. Uh, perhaps we can we can heat stones till they're red hot, but take them away from the heat and they just return to their cold stone again. Days and months go by like waves. If we if we if this is the case, we know this from Sishin. If we fully throw ourselves into practice into our life then days and months go by like waves time passes things change we can we can rely on that but at the same time as this living as in this world is like living in a house on fire there's urgent work to be done Urgent work to change our own minds so that we can change the system which is is so bankrupt. This is like a, um, you could say, a, a continuum with what is there to worry about in life at one end and no time to lose, no time to waste at the other end. We need to hold these two together in order to be able to survive, you could say, emotionally as we, as we watch what's happening. To put our faith in causes and conditions. That things are unfolding as they need to unfold given the causes that are in play. We can't argue with that. We have to work with it. Work with the loss. The, de- the, the, um, the de- devastation, the destruction, that's what we have to work with. We have to work with the worries that we might have over how these things are going to unfold. Does that help? We still have to work with it if we are worrying. Work, use it to to inspire or motivate us to look deeply into the nature of things, and to find that peace that that enables us to to work with each other, effect change. wanted to finish off by looking at um, another kind of creative t- tension that is to, to be found the the the, the Koans, um, collections are full of these and and it, this one relates to the whole question of our, our mortality and how we Approach death and and which of course are part of life. And um, people will have <coughs> heard me talk about the, these these um, two koans before, but the the one in the Heian Roku, Daisui's, it goes along with everything else. A monk asked Daisui. When the conflagration at the end of the kalpa sweeps sweeps through and the great cosmos is destroyed, I wonder, is this one destroyed or not? Daizui said, it will be destroyed. The monk said, will it be gone with everything else? Daizui said, it will be gone with everything else. So this monk is asking the master about Death on a grand scale, annihilation. When everything, when the world ends, will this one end be destroyed? This one. What's he talking about here? And why does Daisori say yes, it will be destroyed? The bunker isn't, isn't happy and asks more. Will it be gone with it? really? Will it be gone with everything else? And Daisori says it will be gone with everything else. And yet, and yet, in the verse to number 23 in the Khan, Mumon there says, You cannot describe it. You cannot picture it. You cannot praise it fully. Stop all your grasping and manoeuvring. There is nowhere to hide your true self. When the world is annihilated, it remains indestructible. Will it be destroyed or is it indestructible? Or are both these true? How can they both be true? We have to examine ourselves, look deeply to answer these questions, answer them existentially by not falling into has or has not, just as, as we have to approach the Koan Mu in the same Does doesn't it's getting beyond the notion of has and has not. We'll f- just finish with um, a comment on this koan by Tenke, Japanese Soto master. He says. The underlying meaning is that the fire that consumes the universe at the end of the eon, the kalpa, is already upon you all, so everyone should urgently make a thorough investigation. If you waste time hanging around, you'll lose your life. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I I vow to to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot.